Look here in Psalm 73 and <clears throat> verse number 1, and this is a little different. These Psalms are, are again, they were the um, psalm book of Israel. They, they, they sang these psalms in, in worship, and the, the psalm actually begins with an ending. It's kind of ironic uh, conclusion. And verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And I believe we all could say amen to that. And uh, in my old Bible where I wrote this thought down the first time uh, above Israel, I didn't change it, but I wrote James Martin. And I believe everybody could put their name in verse 1. Truly God is good to Unity Baptist Church. Truly God is good to the Martin family. Truly God, he's been good to all of us. And, but this is a conclusion that he came to after what we're about to read. And the Bible says this in verse 2, But, but as for me... My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compasseth about them as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with the fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning the oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh throughout the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there, no, is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. And washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to help me tonight and touch me, Lord. You know my limitations, Lord. But I'm thankful tonight there are no limitations upon thee. And I pray, oh God, right now that you would give, Lord, the ear of these people to the Word of God. I pray, Lord, you speak to my heart. Help me learn, Lord, and help us learn from this experience in the life of Asaph. And Lord, help us take heed, Lord, lest we find ourselves in the similar place where he was. We love you tonight, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to look in verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My feet were almost gone. Now, if you read just above the first verse, is, uh, this is called a, a fancy word, a superscription, and it says a psalm of Asaph. You study who Asaph was. He was one of the three chief musicians for King David. Now, we all know what King David, what King David was. He was a musician. He, in fact, in the, in the early days of his ministry, God used him to help Saul. He would come in and play uh, for King Saul, and, and God would use David because he, he, honest, he was, uh, you know, Saul suffered from that evil spirit. And if you're, in a, if you're in a bad spirit, you don't ask somebody to come play for you and sing who don't know how to play and sing. Yeah, man, that, gets you in, that will get you in an evil spirit. You understand what I'm saying? 
So David was a skilled musician. Would everyone agree with that? David was skilled um, in, in, in not just musically uh, as far as an instrumentally, but singing. He was a gifted man. So when David appointed the three chief musicians in Israel, you've got to know they knew what they were doing as well. They weren't, uh, you know what I'm saying? This, this wasn't Barney Fife from Andy Griffiths trying to sing at the church Christmas play. You know what I'm saying? He, these were good. Hey, I got Brother Hobbs laughing. But anyway. So what I'm trying to say is Asaph was a skilled and talented man. He was the choir leader. In fact, when they brought the ark back to Jerusalem, David called on Asaph to lead the singing. Think about that. This is somebody, this was a, a leader. This was a, um, a special talented man in the work of the Lord. And in verse 2, he says, my feet were almost gone. Now, you know this, the way a man or a woman or a child's feet is going, that's the way they're going. What he is saying here, he said, I was almost gone. And if the Lord will help me tonight, that's what I want to preach on, almost gone. Almost gone. If you had surveyed Israel and said, who in this country is almost gone, Asaph never would have been mentioned. Everyone thought highly of him. In fact, they looked up to him. I'd say that moms and dads tried to get their children to learn how to play like Asaph. Or when they sang, they said, boy, you sound like... He was someone that was admired, someone that was respected, someone who had a high position in the work of God. I mean, he from the outside looking in, everyone would assume or conclude that this man was a man walking with God, a man serving God, a man blessed by God. But on, on, in Psalms 73, we don't look on the outside. We see the inside of Asaph. And he said, even though I was doing all that, he said, I was almost gone. I want you to know tonight that there might be someone here and you, everyone, all, we all, everybody thinks that they never even think that person was almost gone, but they're almost gone. I'd say all of us at some point in time have gotten very close to being almost gone. And, and, and so that's what I want to preach on tonight, almost gone. I don't want to be gone, do you? I've, being a pastor, I, I'd say that's up there in the top five hard things, and I'm not wanting no pity or anything like that. I wouldn't want to do anything else with my life. But seeing people go and never come back, it breaks your heart. And Asaph said, I was almost gone. He said, I was on the edge. I was, I was on the brink. I was at my wit's end. I, I was at the, at the point of no return. He said, I, I was almost gone. Now, I want us to look real quickly tonight. I, 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 I exhausted my pitch count. We was watching the Little League World Series, and they're they going to throw 80 pitches. I feel like I threw like 90 this morning, so I'm, I'm limited on my pitch count, but I'm going to try to throw hard while I, with the pitches I got. Amen. I want you to see this. I want you to see Asaph's blurred vision. You know why people end up almost gone and all the way gone? It's because they get blurred vision. The Bible says in verse number three, for I was envious at the foolish, here it is, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know what got Amos almost, I mean, got Asaph almost gone? Was he began to look at the wrong places. He began to look at the, his vision. 
His vision got blurred. He said, I look. He said, I was envious. Of, he said, I was envious at the foolish. And by the way, only a fool will envy a fool. And he said, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, I want you to know tonight, if we're not careful, we'll get our vision blurred. We'll get our eyes foggy by, by, by circumstances, by uh, uh, problems. By uh, We don't know all the details of what happened here, but we do know that his mind, his eyes were in the wrong place. He began to look at the wrong people and in the wrong places, and it caused him to begin to go astray. What did he see? Now, I want you to see this. Again, I'm going to hasten, like I said this morning. Verse 3. Number one, he saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, when I saw the prosperity... Now, listen to me. There There are ungodly people who are poor. Just get out right around. You'll see it. And there are godly people who are rich. But guess what the devil will do to the child of God... He'll convince the, young, the child of God that the only people prospering in this world are the wicked. Asaph, he chose certain cases, you understand? He, he, he was looking at certain people who were living a wicked life and he saw how prosperous they were. I mean, he saw, I, I, he saw all that they had. He saw all that was going for them. And he said it caused me. That was part of his problem because he began to look at what they had and the way they lived. And then he looked at what he had and the way he had lived. And he thought, man, look how their life's treating them. Look how things are happening for them and they're not happening for me. And he said, I'd just as soon be gone as continue on. The devil will only let you see the prosperity of the wicked. He won't let you see all the other. He'll only let you see the high life. He'll only let you see. You understand about them beer commercials? They don't. They 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 they'll show you some man with a, a pretty girl and a fast car, and they're on the beach, and there's palm trees and diamond rings and all this glitz and glamour. And they'll 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 show you, you know, the Super Bowl. They'll bring out them rappers and all that, and they got on them chains and and, and uh, you know, and they've got all these nice cars and. And, and, and all this, go, and, and that's what the devil wants you to see, but he don't show you the rest of the story. He don't show you the other side. You understand? He don't show you. The devil, listen, the devil makes the foyer. He makes the entrance into sin beautiful so you don't see what's behind it. He saw the prosperity of the wicked. In verse 4, he said there are, ban- there are no bands in their death. He said they die with a smile on their face. You know, we always paint the picture of the, uh, and, I, and again, I understand there are certain circumstances where people die lost and there's travail and there's weeping, and there's, but there's also people who die lost with a smile on their face because they have no idea what's waiting for them. They've lived their life without God. They've lived their life without truth. And in death, they're not thinking about truth. They're convinced. Now, when they wake up on the other side, then there's travail, uh, then there's, there's sorrow, then there's hurt. And, and Asaph said, I've watched people die, and they're strong in the death. And then I've watched people who were righteous, who died. Uh, you ever heard the good always die young? How many, uh, how many of you heard or known of good people, godly people, uh, who, who had suffering and had heartache? He saw not only the prosperity of the wicked, but he saw the peace of the wicked. 
He said in verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. They don't have the same problems like I do. They don't go through the same things that I go through. Where's their trouble? Where's their persecution? Where, where are their problems? He said, here I am, troubled and plagued, and yet they've got this peace. And by the way, listen to me, there is a peace that the world has. Jesus said, my peace leave I with you, not as the world giveth gift. But what he's saying is there is a peace that the world has. It's temporary, but it, is, it doesn't make it mean it's not real. And he said, I see these people. He said, they don't have problems like I do. They don't have trouble like I do. How come my life seems to be upside down? How come it seems like I'm going from one battle to another? How come I can't? And here they are uh, living their life. No problems, no trouble. And, and it seems like everything is smooth for them. The peace of the wicked. Then he saw the pride of the wicked. Verse 6, he said, therefore pride compasses them about as a chain. They wear it like jewelry. He said, violence covered them as a garment. He said they wear their, 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 their sin like, like, like clothing, like, a, like something to be showed off. He said, I'm watching this. And he said, oh, I saw this. He said, he said I saw not only the prosperity of the wicked and the, and, the, and the peace, but he said, I saw their pride. He said, they're so proud, they're so proud that they strut when they're sitting down. He said they wear it. We went there night the Grays uh, Mayfield, and I seen all them old timers. You know them the running back from '88 and all that. And I know Grays wasn't a school, but you know, like thirty. I mean, '80s. That seemed like not, but it's been longer now. Than, but 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 where I grew up, you know, that school was over hundred years old. So you see these men come in, and they'd have on that Letterman's jacket, you know, and they were proud of that thing. You understand? They ought to be proud of it. They worked for it. They earned it. But he said these men, these wicked people that he was looking at, he said they wear their sin with pride. They're, and he said, how come it's so easy for them? Look how they're living. I'm talking about blurred vision tonight. And if you and I are not careful, we'll get our eyes on this world and we'll see how pride, they even call it pride. Now, being a homosexual, they say you need to be proud of that. They even have pride month. They, I mean, this is it's unreal. It's, it's absolutely mine. And if we're not careful, we'll look at that and say, how come it's so easy for them and so hard for us? He saw the pleasure of the wicked. Verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. You ever seen somebody really sick and malnourished and have you seen how their eyes sink? He said their eyes are poked, they're, they're fat. It's the sign of, of being well fed and not, not, not straining. Then he goes on to say that they have, they have more than their heart could wish. They got stuff everywhere. Got boats and cars and four-wheelers and side-by-sides. And they got uh, this and they got that. And they got a house here and a house there. I've told y'all before, I, I know some properties up there at the lake. I'm talking about nice, real, I mean, high cotton. You know what I'm saying? Real high cotton. And every now and again, I'll be, and the devil will get on me and say, you could have had all this if you had just chosen something else other than preach. You say, oh, bro, aren't you? But I'm telling you, it works on me and I know it works on you too. You see, David, the Asaph said, he said, they've got more than their heart could wish. They've got more than they could ever want. He saw the pleasure. He saw the perverseness of the wicked. Verse 8, they are corrupt. That word corrupt means rotten. And speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They're proud of their oppression. 
They're perverse. They, he said they're rotten. They're corrupt. They're, they're filthy. Then he goes on to talk about the profanity of the wicked. He said they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. They take God's name in vain. He said in verse 10, therefore his people run and waters of a full cup are wrung out of them. What he's implying there is they get everything out of life. I mean, they get it down to the last drop. They get everything. It seems like they just get it all out of there. And then verse 11, and they say, how doth God know? <laughs> And is there knowledge in the most high? That's what they're saying. God don't know what we're doing. God don't care what we're doing. I'm talking about a man who was almost gone because of blurred vision. I want to ask you this, and I'm, I'm about to move on. How did Asaph know so much about the wicked? How did he know all this was going on? I'm going to show you here in a minute. I believe I know how. I believe he was leaning. And by the way, you fall whichever way you lean. And I believe he was leaning that way. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they had invited him down to the American Legion to sing on Friday night. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Maybe he was out at the VFW playing for karaoke night. And he's seen them coming in. And I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe, whatever. He, but somehow, some way, he had been around this crowd and had seen all that they had and said, man, they don't have the same trouble I have. Man, they don't struggle the way that I struggle. Man, they've got more than they ever could want. And here I am trying to live right, trying to do right, trying to be right. I'm the choir leader of Israel and I'm suffering and they're enjoying life. Yeah. And this is all because of blurred vision. And listen to me. You better be careful what and who you let control your eyes. You've got an eye gate and you've got an ear gate. And both of these, they're connected to your soul. He said, I saw this. He said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I heard what they said. They, they, I, I, I witnessed the fact that they, they seem like even in death they have no sorrow. They're not troubled like I am. And he said, I was almost gone. And listen tonight, if you and I surround ourselves with that, and if we look at that, then guess what? We'll be gone too. Blurred vision. Now look at verse 13. I want you to see his bitter voice. Remember who this is. He's a man that has been given the job of praising God and leading the choir of Israel. And what he saw affected what he said. It said in verse 13, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. Here's what he said. He said, number one, my consecration has been pointless. He said, I've lived right for nothing. He said, I've done right for nothing. I've, I've, with, I've withheld myself. I've refrained. I've showed self-control. I've not indulged. I've not gone that way. I've tried to uh, 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 obey the Lord. I've tried to keep clean hands and a clean heart. And he said, it's all for nothing. All the while, he's up there leading the choir of Israel. Huh? I'm talking about, and by the way, I know I'm very well aware, and I asked the Lord, I've been thinking about this and studying this. Lord, help me not to become like Asaph. 
But I would be a liar and I'd be a hypocrite if I told you that I'd never stand, stood by or I've never prepared and I've never had the thoughts that he had where, Lord, what's the point of this? It's, it seems vain, but I've got good news for you. Uh, it's not in vain. Amen. It's not in vain. Paul told the church at Corinth, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. But I'm talking about this is a bitter voice. Amen. This is a bitter voice. He's thinking things. He's saying things that he never would have thought. He never would have said. He said, it's all in vain. All the prayers I've prayed. All the reading I've done. All the singing. All the, it's in vain, Lord. It's for nothing. There's no point to it. Oh. He spoke about his consecration that was pointless. But then verse 14, he says this, for all the day long. Now, by the way, we find a man here who is eat up with self-pity. That's called a hiccup. It's not no big deal. He's consumed with self-pity. He says, number one, and by the way, he's, he's, he's exaggerating a little bit. And don't we get that way? Don't we seem to, by the way, I think he's stretching it on both sides. When he's talking about the wicked, it's not, it's not, they, this is not true. And what, what I'm saying, everything he's saying here, he's, he's saying, it's amazing when we find ourselves in a, in a battle or in a struggle in time in our life, how, how, our, how we start seeing things differently. And it always seems worse here and better there. And, and, and that's really what's going on. He's looking at the grass on the other side. You know what the old preacher said? You better be careful looking at that grass. He said, it might be green because it's on top of a septic tank. And, and, and he, so he said, not, not only did he say that his consecration was pointless, but then he goes on and he says this. He said that I, he said, I've been chasing every morning. He speaks about not only his consecration being pointless, but he speaks about his correction was perpetual. He said, every day, Lord, you're whooping me every day. I'm being chastened every day. Now, by the way, for the child of God, chastening is an assurance of salvation. And by the way, God don't deal with saints the same as he does sinners. Did you know that sinners are on a credit system with the Lord? You say, what do you mean? Romans 2, 5. He says, but after the hardness and penitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. What that means is the sinner who's lost, every time they sin, they're laying up sin to the day of wrath. They're laying up sin. They're putting it on credit. God's keeping record. God's putting it on the account. God's putting it in the books. But they don't pay right now. They're not paying right now. They're going to pay one day. There'll come a day. There'll be a day of payment. There'll be a payday someday. But the truth is, they don't pay today. It's like running that credit card. Oh my. <laughs> but anyhow, just swipe it away. Just keep swiping away. Just keep swiping away. Uh, but eventually, Eventually that bill comes in the mail. Eventually there comes a day to pay. And the sinner will pay one day. But the child of God's on a cash system. You pay right now. You do wrong, God chastens you. And by the way, we all thank God for chastening. Asaph said, Lord, I don't get by with nothing. I used to ask my daddy. He'd find out. He knew so much stuff I didn't know he knew. I mean, he would tell me things that I was I hadn't already done. I mean, like, I'm serious. He'd come and say, boy, why'd you? And I'd say, daddy, I, I didn't do that. And he said, yeah, but you was going to, wasn't you? I'd say, yeah, you're right. 
He always knew. And it's funny, when I got right with the Lord and got right with him and mama and got in church, got right with God, got, you know, got serious, he began to kind of tell me some of the things he knew that I'd been doing. And man, you talk about being embarrassed. I was embarrassed. He said, I watched, he said, I got, he said, I knew every, I, I checked your truck over. He said, I, I knew where you was. He said, all them, all them things, all them days you just cut. He said, you only had six yards. How was you cutting grass three days a week? You know, I wasn't near as smart as I thought I wasn't there. But you know why? He caught me. And, and guess what he also done? He chastened me. Because I was his child. My children, I've chastened. Now guess what? I'm not going to chasten your children. I may want to, but I ain't going to. Huh? Some of that peach tree tea, you know what I'm talking about? We used to get cherry tree, uh, pe uh, cherry, cherry tree tea at the Martin house. We had a little cherry tree and then limbs, you know, they got them little buds on it. And I'm talking about that's the, in, in, in Georgia, that's right next to the electric chair. It's awful. Them little knots, when they hit you, I mean, it's, 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 it's awful. And, but guess what? I never seen Jackie or Mary Martin lay a hand on another child. I never seen them take anyone else's child. I, and by the way, there was plenty of opportunities. Some of my friends, there was plenty of opportunities, but they never did. You know what they do? They get on the phone and they call their mom and dad and say, You need to come pick up this heathen. You need to come deal with it. You deal with them, I'm going to deal with mine. And guess what? They deal with me. You know why? Because I was theirs. And guess what? The older I get, Brother Aaron, the more thankful I am that I can't get by with it. I mean, I'm talking about, is, is that not the way the Holy Spirit works in our heart? He'll sometimes chasten us in our spirit before we ever do it to keep us from doing it. And he said, but Lord, he said, my consecration is pointless. And he said, my, my correction's perpetual. He said, I'm tired of getting whipped every single day. There's one answer to that. Stop doing things to get whipped. Amen. Was it God's fault that Asaph was being chastened or was it his fault? Has God ever chastened a child who didn't deserve it or didn't need it? Now, by the way, with three, two siblings, there was times I took whoopings I didn't deserve. Not very often, but every now and again. Because once it got to that point, there was no point in arguing, just, just grin and bear it, as they say. There was times I didn't get ones that I did deserve. Because when, when John was getting it, I wasn't going to say, no, John didn't do it. I didn't say, oh, Lord, have mercy on him. Help him, Lord. Give him grace. I'd be quoting Bible. God's grace is sufficient, John. God, he'll see you through. Just hold on. He'll see you. That's, I wasn't about to tell on myself. But, I get, but Drew, you know what? You know what? Listen to me, son. The Lord never has and never will correct a child who doesn't need it. And he never has or never will not correct a child who does need it. And he was, he was bothered by that. His confusion, though, in verse 15 was painful. He said in verse 15, If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, have you ever thought about something so much it hurt? He said, I just can't, it's, it's, it's hurt, I can't. Now think about this. He said in verse 15, if I say, if I will speak thus, behold, I should, I should offend against the, the generation of our children. Here's what he is saying, Lord. This is why he was confused and why he was hurting. He said, Lord, what if I were to go to church and tell them how I really feel? 
What if I were to tell them what I'm thinking? What if I, Lord, they would never have anything else to do for me. Dude, they would never, they'd think I'd lost my mind. They'd talk about me. They'd walk out and, and, and they'd, they'd uh, uh, you know, I, he said, what, if I would say thus, if I would speak this in the generation of my children, Lord, I, I can't talk about what I'm thinking, Lord. They'll, they'll, they'll throw me out. <laughs> or I'm the choir leader. I can't be talking like that. Uh, I'm supposed to be somebody. I can't talk like that. And by the way, by the way, listen, by the way, I say everyone in here has gone through that. He said, Lord, it's too painful for me. It hurts. Now quickly, I'm done. I want you to see a backslider's victory. Did you know there's, 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 there's that phrase almost gone. It's got two sides to it. One to me, it's a fearful thing. He was almost gone. And hey, that's just, listen tonight. If you're almost gone, you ought not joke about it. Don't, 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 don't think lightly that, that you're in a dangerous place. Brother Justin, not only is it a fearful, but it's also, it gives me, it gives me, it, it's a comforting thing because even though he was almost gone, he never got all the way gone. I mean, there he was. And by the way, I've been there and probably I've been there before. Right on the edge. I'm talking about teeter-tottering on the edge. Just about saying, I'm done. I can't take it no more. I ain't going to put up with it no more. Just gonna, I'm just going to put it all down. And somewhere, uh, somewhere, like the old song says, standing in the shadows uh, was Jesus. And he, and he got me and he saved me and kept me from going all the way. But number in verse 17, he said, until I went to the sanctuary. The first thing was, the, well, how did he find victory? There was, vic there, was real, there was a visitation. He said, I went to the sanctuary. Now, here's what I believe. I believe he had been missing worship. And by the way, listen to me not. I, I, I've been getting several complaints here about distractions. Thing, but I want you to know, if you don't get to hear one song or one sermon, one word of the message, it's good for you to come to the house of God. Amen. If all we did is walk in church and walk around and said, how you doing, Brother Aiden? Man, it's good to see you. Have you had a good week? Good, buddy. How you doing, Brother Aiden? Man, it sure is good to see you. I like that hair. I wish I had it. Hey, Bubba, how you doing? Good to have you, Bubba. Elijah, how's your, been? How's your week been? Man, I appreciate you, Matty. Good to have you tonight. Leah, I wish you hadn't come. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding with Leela. She can take it. Look who her brother is. <laughs> that ain't nothing. But I believe if all we did was that, and we said, all right, y'all, let's pray and go home, I believe we'd be more spiritual than if we didn't. I believe that. Maybe you don't. But he said, I thought, he said, I thought all these things until I went to the sanctuary. Until I went to the sanctuary. The devil will get in your ear and say, can you imagine what the devil was telling Asaph? You hypocrite. You're so fake getting up there and singing them songs about the faithfulness of God and 
about the goodness of God and singing all them psalms like the Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all those within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His merit. And there you are leading them and singing that song. And on the inside, you wish you was out there in the world. You're jealous of these, these, these wicked. You're up there. And, and don't you know the devil was telling him, you're a hypocrite. You ought not to go. You don't need to go. You need to stay away. I want you to know tonight, when you feel like going to church the least is when you need to go to church the most. There is something about going into the house of God. There is something that is beneficial for the child. And anybody that tells you they can be as good a Christian without church as you can with church, they don't know their Bible. Amen. He said, I went to the sanctuary. I mean, the devil was kicking him and beating him down. His mind was foggy. His his vision was blurred. His voice was bitter. But he said, I'm just going to go to the house of God. I'm just going to go one more time. He said, and when I got there, amen, when I got there, my eyes got cleaned up, amen. I began to see how things really were, and I got help by going to the house of God. Visitation. There was realization, though. Verse 17, he said I understood their end. What did he realize in the sanctuary? He realized the end of the wicked. Their end. You don't understand, he was confused and and discouraged by what was going on now. But he said, I went to the sanctuary and I realized their end. Their end. Not only the end, but he, he, he said in verse 18, Surely thou didn't set them in slippery places. He not only didn't realize the end of the wicked, but he realized something about the endangerment of the wicked. He said, you've set them in slippery places. Did you know tonight, listen, did you know tonight that you and I are one air bubble in our brain from being bedridden the rest of our lives and having somebody wipe the slobber off our mouth? One air bubble. And here the world goes around shaking their fist at God, mocking God. He said, I realize this. He said, I realize the end. But then I realize the danger, the danger that they're in. He said, they're in slippery places. That's so much different than the saved person, young man. The child of God's not walking in slippery places. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, David said. He set my feet upon a rock and established my going. He said, I realize that, hey, not only the end, but he said, I remember the day. I realize the danger. Every day they live, every breath they take, they're in slippery places. The extent of the wicked, verse 19, he said, how are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, a moment. A moment. He said it's like one waking from a dream. You ever had a dream and it felt like it was like four, four years long? And you woke up and you realized it was 40 minutes. I dreamed last night that Kirby Smart, the coach of Georgia, just retired. And I was so mad. My wife and I said, she said, aren't you excited about football? I said, to be honest with you, I ain't even thought about it since we won the last championship. I'm, I can die a happy man. And so we had that conversation right before I went to sleep. And in my dream, he had, he had resigned. I'm talking about 40-something-year-old quit. I said, I was so mad. I can't believe that dirty dog. And for some reason, I was at, at a beach somewhere alone just sitting there. I don't know why. And guess who walks up to me? Kirby Smart. He said, hey, James. I said, how do you know my name? He said, man, I just want to explain. I said, you ain't going to explain to me nothing, you turncoat. I said, what are you? I mean, we had this. I mean, I mean I'm getting in my dream. I'm letting them have. I said, I th-, he said, I graduated from Georgia. I said, I don't care. I said, I'm a sidewalk fan, and I'm more Georgia than you are. Sidewalk fans are ones that didn't graduate from that school, but anyhow, 
He began to tell me about this. And I mean, I'm, I'm just like so upset. I'm like, I can't believe all them Tennessee fans now are going to start talking trash again. We're going, and I'm like, man, Florida and all the rest of them. And, and, and I woke up, and you know, it had been like 30 minutes. And I done been to the beach, done how to, I mean, here's what he's saying. It seems like the wicked are going to live forever. But it's just a moment. Just a moment. He realized that the church... Verse 21 and 22 is humiliation. He said this, Thus my heart was grieved. I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a, as a beast before thee. By the way, this, this service at the sanctuary, he didn't go and hear one of them joy boys preach. He was grieved. And you know, sometimes we come to church, we need to be grieved. He said, I was grieved. He was humiliated by what he had done. He said, I cannot believe that I was ever envious of these people once I saw their end, once I saw their endangerment, once I saw their extent. He said, how could I have ever wanted to be like them? But it didn't happen until he got in the house of God. And then he goes on to talk about his consolation he found in the house of God. Number one, he found there was personal presence. He said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by thy right hand. Amen. I'm thankful that the Lord, He walks with us and He holds us by our hand. One of my favorite songs in that book is Take My Hand, Precious Lord. Amen. And uh, He said, I found out I may not have the wealth they have. I found out I may not have all the pleasures they have. I found out I may not have life like they have. But I have somebody with me along life's weary lane. He said, I found out that there's a God who is with me and who holds me by my right hand. And, 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 and basically he said, I'd rather have him than have all that. I'd rather have him than have what they have. Verse 24, he had a personal presence, but he said, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. He had a personal path. He had the, the, the guiding hand of God on his life. I want to ask you something tonight. What is worth forsaking the guiding hand of God in your life? Could you imagine living life without God's guiding hand? How, how troubling it be. I mean, how awful would it be? He said, I realized not only did I have prayer, he said, but I had God, you've, you've given me a path, you're guiding me. He said in verse 25, not only that, he says, he says, uh, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Then he goes on to say in verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He had power. Then he said in verse 28, it's good for me to draw near to God. Verse number two, he's almost gone, but now he's drawing near to God. And that's what church ought to do. It ought to do. Church ought to want us all to, when we leave, we ought to feel like we've drawn near to God. He said that I may declare all thy works. He found a personal purpose. He said, I've got a purpose and it's to declare the works of God. Now listen. If Asaph could be almost gone, so can we. If you're here tonight and maybe, maybe, listen, Maybe, no, maybe, maybe you didn't even realize it till tonight. 
Most people don't realize they're almost gone until they're already gone. And it's too late. Most of them were like Samson who laid his head in Delilah and, 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 and he woke up and she had cut his hair. And, and, and when he woke up, uh, he tried to break the ropes. And, and the Bible said he wist not that the spirit had departed from him. He did not, he forgot, he didn't realize. He, he, he realized it, but he realized it too late. And by the way, the cords of sin are too soft to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. And listen, maybe tonight you don't even, uh, 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 you don't even understand that maybe the Lord has helped you realize that you're getting close. You're getting close to being gone. Maybe you're here tonight and everything's all right and you're doing well. You probably you ought to do business with the Lord and say, Lord, help me not get to that place.